Hello everybody, we are going to do something a little bit unorthodox on today's show, something I've always kind of wanted to do is take a step back and talk about kind of the broader issues and things that really divide um, people, whether it be the left wing of the, the Democratic Party, whether it be the Democratic Party, like just like bigger, broader issues that aren't just the headlines of the day-to-day news, because that is really so easy to just sit down and make a show about the headlines of the day-to-day news. Uh, but I kind of wanted to do that today by uh, doing something kind of interesting, is playing the premium episode, episode 10 of Bad Faith, and kind of talking about it a little bit. It's a very, very long episode, but they do have a, this hosted by the press secretary for Bernie Sanders, um... And this other guy who you're probably not going to like very much if you kind of are like probably older and have more sensitive ears and are kind of used to listening to kind of like the mainstream media. Uh, he's a little little bit more crass as opposed to uh, Bernie Sanders' press secretary, Brian and Joy Grant's Virgil Texas, who's been on the show, by the way. Um, he, his voice has grazed these airwaves, but a lot less crass because, you know, I would have yelled at him in a big way. I would not have let that stand in any circumstances here on the Spencer Walsh Radio Network. But we will be playing this episode because it features a very interesting discussion and debate with Noam Chomsky. Um, Yeah, so we're going to dive right into that. say, yes, I want my grandchildren to survive. So many people's grandchildren are already not surviving. All right, just to pause it, we're already pausing in 14 seconds in. So the question there that got cut off a little bit, I apologize, was, um, so he, he said, the question people are asking is, do you want your grandchildren to, to survive? Uh, but what, what Brianna Joy Gray is, is saying is that a lot of people aren't surviving. A lot of people's grandkids are not surviving as the way they are. Like, things aren't sustainable as the way they are, uh, which I definitely think is true. But I think, I think honestly, they are both right in this situation because things are, like, incredibly unsustainable. They're not in the point of just, like, structure in any kind of meaningful way right now, I think. Um, but I also do think that uh, things could get a hell of a lot worse. And I think that's where Gnome's completely valid point comes in. That's that's the issue. Yes. Do you want to ensure that they'll live underwater or have a chance to survive? So so many people aren't thinking about living underwater because they're incarcerated or they're unhomed. Then as an activist, your goal is to make get them to think about it because that is what is at stake. So that was a clip of the upcoming interview Virgil and I did with Professor Noam Chomsky. It was a wild ride. Uh, what did you think, Virgil? I think we won the debate. <laughs> I think we pr- we proved we're smarter than them. Yeah. So at this point, kind of they go on. Well, really, just Virgil really does go on to talk about a bit of like trash. Talk a little bit trash, saying, "Oh yeah, we won the debate with with Noam Chomsky. He didn't do well. People are going to be convinced to vote for Joe Biden now, even which is a pretty uh, people are going to be less convinced. He like saying he failed in his mission to convince people." to vote for Joe Biden, which is a pretty pretty controversial statement there. Um, and we will see how accurate it is. I don't know if he was being kind of all the other serious, but we'll see. Uh, opposed to the tenor of the debate, but apparently uh, they got a uh, uh, pretty heated, and they definitely on Twitter got a lot of people to subscribe, me included, uh, but pretty much only for the purposes of this podcast because uh, f- paying $5 a month like, for a podcasting, think about it. S- say it over in your head. Like Think about how... like lip curling that sounds like you think i'm gonna do that i I just can't in good conscience with my with myself i just can't anyway this is, i think this is around the part where the actual interview starts you me and joe rogan baby 
Yep. <laughs> All right. We well, this is Bad Faith, and this, this is, the, uh, is Noam Chomsky. Here. Joined now by linguist, philosopher, cognitive scientist, activist, and author of the forthcoming book, Climate Crisis and the Green New Deal, Professor Noam Chomsky. Professor, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to echo what Virgil's sentiments are. Your voice is so incredibly meaningful and persuasive as someone who is deeply respected, obviously, for both your scholarship and kind of your political opinions over the course of time. And so it made big news, understandably, uh, a few months ago when you came out very strongly advocating for leftists who at the time were many of whom were very frustrated by the way the primary season ended to uh, pledge their votes to to Joe Biden. No, I didn't say that. Okay, can you can you clarify then what what is your position? What I said is a thousand times as loud as possible you should vote against Trump. Now it happens that there's a technical fact which says when you want to vote against Trump you have to push a lever for Biden. But the left doesn't get involved in these games. The idea of uh, making elections the be-all and end-all of politics is the mainstream conservative idea. The idea is politics is supposed to be restricted to electoral extravaganzas. You show up every couple of years and push a lever, then you go home. The official doctrine, I've repeated it, quoted it from the main sources, is you're supposed to be spectators, not participants. Your job as a citizen is to show up every once in a while, pick one or another of the so-called responsible men, and then go home. The, to use the standard, the phrase of the main writers on the topic, or Lippmann in this case, the ignorant and meddlesome outsiders, the public, have to be put in their place. They have a role to show up and vote now and then, period. Now, the left has always taken a very different view. Uh, real politics consists of constant activism. Every once in a while, an event shows, comes up in which you have to take a couple of minutes to decide whether it's worth pushing a lever to keep out someone of who's truly dangerous. So you, if, in this case, the argument for that is simply overwhelming, is the most dangerous figure ever to have appeared in political history. So yes, take a couple of minutes, vote against him, then uh, proceed back to real politics. Uh, yeah, we can pause it there. Um, I do think there are t uh, some very, very interesting points in this. And I guess I, I would say, because you can make an argument that he is the most dangerous uh, in history. And I think you would have to, at some point, just like not go a little bit off of Trump's record. And I think rely on, for your argument, the fact that 
there, th- this is such a chaotic time, especially with we, where we are with climate, where we are with economic inequality, just like the widening gap between the rich and the poor, and just the 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 increasingly higher and more dire stakes in each election. Um, so I guess that could be a little bit of a interesting perspective there. But uh, and I did see this not from myself or anything, but from Twitter. Indeed, I will admit um, that him saying it only takes a couple of minutes to, to go out and vote is not true for many, many people, especially in cities, especially African-Americans. And that's going to make it tougher, to, especially in the time when there's a pandemic going on, waiting for, for seven hours, six hours makes it very, very hard because that is a big, big commitment to make for so many people. And it, it, it all too often turns out to, to really be the people that Democrats need the most to win. I am going to try and be fair with a uh, fair use and we will not be playing all of this podcast, but we will be probably going about like a normal show's length into it. Uh, and I have to decide based on how I feel about it. Maybe we'll do maybe a part two on this because if it, depending on how interesting it gets, if it gets really kind of crappy, uh, we'll cut it off, but still. Which is the constant activism, which in fact has pushed Biden's program to the left of any of his predecessors. And I mean, even there, I just like, I do buy the fact, unquestionably, I, I and I shouldn't, if I haven't made clear, if you if you maybe new to the show, um, I'm pretty much like, I would say, uh, if you if if it were me, and I'm I personally also don't really feel comfortable like telling any kind of left wing person what to do, not necessarily that they're left wing, but it's like, just based on what I've seen, I can understand, I can really understand any any position, although I would really say. I would definitely, if I were in a swing state, I'd vote for Biden because I think Trump is unequivocally worse. There's no no denying that. But but in in a position where you're a lefty in kind of a, a state like New York, uh, I would not feel any kind of um, compunction to vote for Joe Biden because I just like it's not. And again, I think that does kind of tie into what he says there uh, about voting against Trump and um, it's what he said there. I mean, if he's not talking about kind of strategic voting based on swing states then i kind of think that just like it makes and kind of like a tech, technical term in the, in the sense that he used it but uh still uh it would be interesting to to see and if it continues can go more but the principle is vote against trump then challenge biden well, I think the argument that's being made uh, by some on the left, including myself earlier in this election cycle, was that by withholding one's vote, by, by saying I'm not going to vote for Biden, uh, or as you say, against Trump unconditionally, you could continue to push Biden to the left at a time when he is most vulnerable because of his electoral position. So that endorsing him early on in the process or endorsing him by virtue of saying you're going to vote against Trump. You know, no one's talking about third party votes as counting as against Trump, right? We're talking exclusively about votes for for Biden. So I guess the question is why? Mm -hmm. Let's let's try to be serious about it. To say you have, there's an argument that says by joining the 50% of the population that doesn't vote, I'll somehow influence the Democratic Party. I think that's a pretty long shot. Yeah. There's another, yes, a very long shot. They don't pay attention. 
and I mean, I do think it's interesting to say, like the 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 idea of trying to, in kind of like almost a labor type way, like organizing your vote, like you're organizing like workers in a union or something to like withhold your vote for certain promises. Like if that was the case, like that would I think probably be a pretty effective measure. Um, but I really don't think that it's going to be like things are even that organized. Like it's, it's kind of crazy to say. To the 50% who don't vote. There's another proposal, which is say, keep the activism going, compel the program to move to the left as was done. And then vote against Trump and vote and challenge Biden. Keep pushing it to the left. These are two strategies. Okay. But the, in neither case, is it a matter of voting for Biden? It's a question of which strategy you use to push the party to the left. One is, I'll keep quiet. The other is, I'll get engaged the way the Sunrise Movement was, the way the Sanders campaign was, and succeed in pushing the program considerably to the left. In fact, the actual program on crucial issues, like, say, climate change, despite the resistance from the DNC, turns out to certainly be better than any predecessor and not too bad and can be pushed farther. Yeah, I mean, I think the way the way he kind of qualified it there is uh, pretty telling. But I also think that a lot of this stuff isn't really kind of concrete. And once we see the like naivete here, once we see... I do see, I think there's kind of like a surprising bit of like naivete there to say that, oh, that Trump, Biden, I mean, he may feel the perfect need to go by them. But in terms of like expecting him and his administration, knowing what we know about Biden and his entire career um, to, to stick really kind of closely by these policy proposals that he isn't really running on. He says he doesn't support the Green New Deal. He says he doesn't support fracking. Like, does that stick to the, the kind of the spirit of his economic plan? I mean, not really. It, it, and if he's already appearing so weak on these, what else is he going to do when, when it comes to crunch time? Do you think the, that's the first thing that they're going to have out the gate? Do you really think that they're going to go out of their way to spend political capital on climate change and really push that forward? I mean, there's only so many things the White House can do at one particular time. Like, It's not like they're going to be able to, to kind of do all that stuff and expend like a massive fight on getting this, this climate change deal done. Um but I mean, maybe they may do some policies. I mean, but if you can really, I mean, it 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 does kind of suck because I guess if you if you want to go out, if you want to go vote, I mean, you would if you had to choose somebody, even if someone's marginally better, they would that would technically make them better and therefore the choice. But it it like I think that it's so important, to really emphasize like that a lot of the stuff that he's gonna do. I mean, I do. I'm not really sure entirely. First of all, that you can take that as a commitment. I don't think you can take that what Biden says completely written in stone there because it, I don't know. I just I don't know. I think, I think knowing what we know about Biden, knowing what we know about his like what he's actually saying to the public, not what he's agreeing to in these kind of like formal but really BS and kind of meaningless kind of platform committees here and and whatever commitments he made with the AOC AOC group and what AOC got him to make. I mean, uh, I I don't think he is going to be bound. He's not politically bound to those in any way. And it really, it's definitely, if Biden wins, it's going to be up to the left to make him bound to those. Um, But 
to to go in assuming that and kind of portraying that off as it's real, I I think is is really um, kind of just kidding yourself. But I just like I and I say this knowing that <laughs> of course like Noam Chomsky is like ninety one and I am very young, um, but I, it's just like I I I don't really get that argument because I've done I'm pretty familiar with the 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 broad strokes of what Joe Biden's been about for the past four decades. And I think you, you do start to see looking at it objectively, looking at what people said about him, a pattern there. Like there's a pattern emerging and it is not one that suggests that he's going to be kind of any kind of vanguard on climate change and maybe, and even commit to the, the same policies is inherently based in uh, right wing ideology more so than even those right wing senators in some cases in some points he was in the Senate. So I don't think you can kind of expect him to be and really commit to those things. It just, it does not make any, I, I just don't think you can do it. So those are two tactical choices about how to move the uh, program to the left. In my view, at least, the advantages of the tactical choice of constant activism are overwhelming. Uh, keeping quiet has no effect. Well, I think that I agree with that. Absolutely. And that no one I know is really advocating to keep quiet. It's a third tactical option that's being offered, which is to say, in the same way that voting blocks like unions have been able to... But is there a coordinated left voting block? I don't think she can... Can she really say... Can she provide evidence? I don't think she can... I, I don't know. I'm not entirely convinced that there is a, a left voting block that if Bernie Sanders can be like, don't vote for him wait, give us this, vote for him with a snap of the fingers or somebody else who's going to be like like logically in control of that many people. I don't know if you can do it. I don't think you can like say that. It's great when you have a union and you have already organized infrastructure and people just kind of like mail things out and be like, uh, okay, this is the voting recommendation. A lot of people are going to follow the voting recommendation except for kind of Unite Here in Nevada. Um, but like that kind of stuff is... I don't I don't know if you can like make the case that you can do that with such little infrastructure and such little um, resource at hand. Coordinate masses of voters and deliver them to politicians in return for certain promises that some portion of progressives, be they leftist, former Sanders supporters, young people, Black Lives Matter protesters, whatever collective group there is could condition one's vote for Biden against Trump on Joe Biden delivering some goods the same way, yes, the Sunrise Movement did. Now, let's take that position. Suppose you're one of these people. Do you intend to vote against Trump in November 3rd? Conditioned on whatever terms. Not conditioned. Suppose that your demands were not met. Would you vote against Trump? Then no, that's the. There's no persuasive value. There's no leverage if the vote is unconditional. You wouldn't vote against Trump. No, in this scenario, means, yeah. Right, which means you would help Trump win, because not voting for one candidate, not voting for Biden. But I don't get how you can't acknowledge the swing state, like the 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 fact that a lot of people live in areas where your vote is close to meaningless. A lot of people in this country do. Whether, I mean, I guess you could say Texas, I mean, more or less is a swing state, but California and New York, 
huge like portions right away they're going to go solidly blue. I mean, if you really want to call Texas a swing state, I mean, after all these, I guess maybe you can, but still, like all throughout the, for example, the middle of the country that's like solidly red, um, like those people's votes, they are not going to matter. It's going to go. That's the way of the electoral college system. But if you're ta- if you're talking about a popular vote system, that would make a lot more sense. Um, but I don't think you have that. You can't. The same way Brown and Joy Gray can't just be like, well, we'll all all the lefties who who make up such a sizable voting, and I do believe they do make a sizable voting coalition, like the left wing of the Democratic Party, but it's not in any way that organized. And I don't know who is going to like stand out there and say, don't vote for the Democratic nominee until people listen. I I don't know who I don't know if that can be done. And also in that same way, you can't ignore the fact that. A lot of people, like, they have no real reason to vote for Biden if they don't have to, if they if they live in a, in a safe state, either blue or red. Is equivalent to putting Trump one vote ahead. So your choice is, okay, if they don't do what I want. If you live in a swing state. Essentially vote for two thirds of the swing states. Two thirds of the states in the country are not decision. swing states. So the argument then is. If people are asking Joe Biden to do things that are electorally beneficial to him, if they're asking him to support policies like the Green New Deal that overwhelming majorities of Americans support, including a bipartisan bipartisan majorities of Americans, and yet he still declines to adopt said policies. Yes, he moved somewhat on the Green New Deal. He went from a $1.7 trillion plan over 10 years to a $2 trillion plan over four years, and that is meaningful. Of course, it pales in comparison to the level of investment that many climate scientists say is absolutely necessary for us to meet the UN IPCC goals to actually getting where we need to be in terms of um, degree Celsius change. And you could say, oh, well, he could be like, well, will you, uh, would you rather what Trump is? But like, um, and I think in most issues, that'd be a fair point. But like, this is climate change. Like, it's a very, very serious, like, it's kind of also all or nothing. Because it's like, are you really going to say for sure? Like, you can't, like, you can't be uh, that confident that if you just do the Joe Biden situation and the Donald Trump situation, you may get the same end result because like you got to reach a certain threshold. If you're not at that threshold, even if you're just a little bit lower from what we I mean from what at least I understand, I could be reading it completely wrong, who even knows about the science. But like if you're not at that point by that time the the point that's necessary the time that's necessary, like irreversible things will start to happen and it won't matter. So if you're not getting to the to if you're not reach, reaching that level of investment needed to reverse climate change, um then, then you're not really doing anything for anybody, but you're just you're just doing it to say, well, I'm technically better, but but you gotta be good enough. Like if you're still not, pa- <laughs> if like you say Donald Trump's at a thirty, you're at a like sixty, you're still not getting to sixty five. You need a sixty five to pass, and passing is in this in this scenario, living and dying for the next generation, which is like, believe me, I am pretty invested in that because I want to have, be able to be able to live on this planet for more than just seven years before it gets irreversible. All of this is common ground, but it's missing point. Mm -hmm. The question is, what are you intending to do on November 3rd? If you say, and you mean what you're saying, 
If you don't mm-hmm. vote, uh, put Medicare for all on your program, I'm going to give a vote to Trump. If that's what you mean, say it, okay? Mm-hmm. And then what you're saying is, if I don't get what I want, I'm going to help the worst possible candidate into office. I think that's crazy. Well, what is the consequence? What are the long-term consequences of everybody on the broad left, Democrats, liberals, everyone? Under any I, I do have to say, we will vote for a Democrat. I do have to say, Brianna's been Brianna's been missing a few spots here, and Gnome's been hitting all the spots. I'd say, I'd say Gnome's up so far uh, against just Brianna, but if you see, maybe Virgil get in there and, and score some points for the for the uh, anti-Biden team, but well, we shall see. Had a candidate as long as they are incrementally better than the Republican candidate. Does that way of thinking contribute to the rightward shift of the Democratic Party over years? And what mechanism will ever stop that shift if we're not willing to ever, under any circumstances, leverage our votes? So what you're saying, if you think it through, is we should help Trump win because maybe in the long run that'll affect the Democratic Party. That's a terrible choice. Helping Trump win, as you're proposing, would mean four more years of destruction of the environment, getting possibly to tipping points, which would be irreversible, certainly making any effort to deal with it very difficult. It would mean stacking the judiciary with young ultra-right lawyers, top to bottom, so that nothing would be possibly done for a generation and I can go on and on. I don't think that's a wise choice, just on the hope that maybe sometime in the long term, the Democratic Party will pay attention to the fact that you're part of the 50% of non-voters. I think that's a very poor judgment. I take that very seriously. I take the multi-generational threat very seriously. You know, as a Black American whose family members have been living as a third tier in American society, my mother was born into an America that didn't recognize her basic human rights. Um, in 1960, she's a relatively young woman. And obviously the kinds of the, the world that my grandparents and great-grandparents had to live through was much more dramatically unequal to them even that. And so what concerns me is the way in which the vote blue no matter who mindset basically privileges more recent concerns that are equally grave as more longstanding concerns that are built in the status quo and says, we have to vote for X candidate to prevent X ill from happening. At the same time, those who have suffered under the status quo never seem to get an opportunity to have their issues heard because a maintenance of the status quo is always a number one priority that will do anything to preserve. And I think that when you look at a lot of who is feeling disaffected right now, it is a lot of younger black voters who felt like there was an opportunity to pull the lever and do things the right way with Barack Obama, but who don't see any real change having materialized and that the status quo for them just simply isn't good enough. How do we change that How do we keep that pattern from recurring so voters have some confidence that pulling the lever isn't just going to maintain the status quo, but do something more? Well, I mean, that's just not I mean, it's it's kind of like you can't say that's the nature of the system. That's just not what you expect. I think at this point when you go to a voting booth, like I don't know who that like counts against, whether it's whether it's Brown or or to Noam's point there. But 
it's like you can't really at this point if you're wanting to go into the voting booth making a difference you can't go and it'd be interesting to see how kind of like no one responds to this but you if you want to go in the voting booth making a difference expect like, like think you're gonna make a difference like you can't go and say oh i'm gonna change the status quo all the time it's just like there is very likely gonna be no the, the case that there's no status quo candidates on offer there's like they're just all people who are committed to like real like maintaining things kind of the way they are maybe a little bit better but then making things drastically worse and you really have to just hold your nose every time and sure it's going to dispirit a lot of people from from voting but like voting like the way we have it now it's been like this for a while first of all and for a second second of all like it's just it's kind of the nature of the system like it's almost designed to produce like the least appealing option uh really until like the to, to the most amount of people like it, these candidates are like really considered quite poorly um probably the most poor that we've like the least confident each like the americans have thought about the candidates that that, that could be present like either way most americans are going to acknowledge things are not going to end up very well like we we shouldn't be excited for anything coming under under joe biden president we shouldn't expect for example fdr like great transformational change and it's just like the people who uh argue for for that point of voting for biden because of this this transformational change like oh yeah like that is gonna be that like that you're just lying you're you're not i don't think you can make the case that you can go in maybe biden gets proven wrong maybe we all get proven wrong and we look like idiots that would be great because we need some real transformational change but i don't think that biden is the person to do it and but still again he's better than trump and in the way the voting in in just the awful, screwed up, like poisonous world, the way voting works is just that's just how it has to be. It's just the lesser evilism, um, most of the time, especially as we get further and further down the highway to hell. Like that's just how it's going to have to be. Like that is just how it's going to have to be until we find someone who's just absolutely kind of worthy of. And actually push someone through someone like Bernie is actually worthy of and has a chance at and can actually commit to real transformational change. But it's just it's I mean, just not the way it is with voting anymore. It's it's, it's taking it downhill. It's, it's frankly sad. So what you're proposing is in order to get my voice heard, what I will do is help put into office a candidate who is dedicated to destroying the prospects for human life on earth by racing towards environmental catastrophe, who is stacking the entire judiciary with young lawyers who for a generation will be be able to block any progressive legislation, who will continue to uh, dismantle uh, the arms control regime, which is somewhat projecting, protecting us from nuclear war, uh, who will, I can go on and on. I will do that because that'll help me get my voice heard. No, I'm sorry, it won't. Professor, I I wouldn't argue that I am putting, I am helping Trump. I would argue that if the Democratic Party, if Joe Biden as a candidate were unwilling to concede these very um, common sense concessions that would help him in electoral context and would also be the right thing to do, that it is he who would be enabling Trump and that framing the onus as decidedly on the voter instead of the politician who's in a position of power to actually affect the outcome is wrongly 
doing a kind of a kind of voter shaming that continues to have the effect of suppressing the vote among people who are, I think, very valiantly asking for a better world. That we know, like that is something that I think has been proven in studies to say, like if you come at it, like there's nothing more that like picture this situation. Like you're not entirely committed to the Democratic Party. For example, maybe you're like a like African American mom waitress or something like that. You're not committed to the Democratic Party. Don't feel like your life has changed for you much. Um, but you you get t- and like your your wages haven't gone up under Obama. Like the life hasn't got under Trump. Maybe I mean like the the handling of the pandemic's been bad. But like 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 you just feel like whatever happens, you've been working. Maybe in the same restaurant for a while, you haven't really gotten uh, any any like step forward, any kind of economic security, even though that you've been working every day and like in a hard way for like your entire life, and you, you like your material conditions don't really change, and then you have people like talking into your TV and be like, "Well, you have to vote, and if you don't vote, you're helping Trump." Like, I mean, again, making the case to vote for Joe Biden, that is a perfectly fine case. But yelling at people, especially like people who supported Bernie Sanders, people who are like because they saw especially because they're coming from a position where they had been screwed out and screwed over all their life. And they saw Bernie Sanders as the only person who could actually make a real change for them. And then now Joe Biden like beats him the way that especially the way that he beats him. And you go to that person and say, you are a fascist enabler and scum if you don't vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I think they have absolutely every right to stick double middle fingers right up at you and say, hey, buddy, hey, Democratic Party, what have you done for me lately? Nothing. Come and earn my vote. Like you can and you can still choose to give it to him because you think Trump's a existential threat. But asking the Democratic Party ask and demanding the Democratic Party um choose your vote or actually come earn your vote and is i think a fundamental thing and there is unquestionably unquestionably uh high amounts of just deep distaste the democratic party has for the base and for for just its, its voters in general like people who it doesn't already who who it thinks it already has under its wing they will just like treat like scum because they are already in the wagon and and nothing matters anymore after that and yes, using the vote, the only real tool they have to directly communicate with their elected officials to influence. Totally wrong. That's the establishment view, and you shouldn't buy into it. The vote is not the only tool you have. Oh, well, one of the only. I didn't say exclusive officials. Voter shaming that continues to have the effect of suppressing the vote among people who are, I think, very valiantly asking for a better world. And yes, using the vote, the only real tool they have to directly communicate with their elected officials to influence. Totally wrong. That's the establishment view, and you shouldn't buy into it. The vote is not the only tool you have. Oh, well, one of the only. I didn't say exclusively. It's the least of the tools that you have. That's the establishment view. You're a spectator, not a participant. Do the vote. Go home. The real politics... So you're, like, supposed to go do a women's march? Like... Politics is constantly working to change the conditions under which 
political figures will be compelled to shift their views. That's real politics. Every once in a while, an event comes up called an election. You have to make a take 10 minutes to decide, am I going to keep the worst guy off? Or is it not worth bothering? Often it's not worth bothering. Now, this time it is very much worth bothering. And we have a choice. Will I take 10 minutes to get rid of a true monster who's going to have devastating effects? Or will I not do it? Because maybe someday that will help make my voice be heard under far worse circumstances. That's a simple choice. It's not a matter of just the vote. What you do if you're sensible is say, look, this guy is a major monster. We've got to get rid of him. I'll take five minutes to do it. Then I'll go back to the kind of real politics which changes consciousness, awareness, environment, uh, make, sets the conditions. I mean, honestly, like that would that just now sounds like he is entering like almost like the and I hate to say it because it's definitely like where we need to be. It's definitely the right place to get to, I think. Like, honestly, it would be incredible. Um, but, like, that's kind of similar, I think, to Brianna saying that, oh, we got um, to do this like, mass mobilization of voters. Like, we are not, like, the, the left wing isn't organized. It's just not organized to that level at all where we have the, the, the right type of people. We just don't have, like, like those kind of leaders in such mass number and we don't have a I think strong enough firm enough base which is what like 20 really like 20 percent of the democratic party like non like uncommittedly uh or not like just w without reservation supporting supporting Bernie Sanders maybe it's going to be more now like is that enough people like are, are there people who in a kind of campaign would kind of come along and maybe it's more than 20 maybe it's like closer to 25 20 like is there enough people who are going to just come out and say, right, go back to all this kind of operations? Like, what is, what is this or like very, very abstract term that I think people who are, like, deeply involved with, like, the history of leftism and all that stuff and, like, the, the, they read all the terms that they're up on, like, like, they did all their homework and stuff like that. Who are like, we got to go back to the fundamental basis of, like, what does that look like? Does that look like... Uh, leading a protest, for example, like the Women's March. Does that look like, yeah, like, well, look where that got us. Nowhere, literally nowhere. It's just it's just a giant display of pretty colors and, and people go home. But I, I honestly think that voting is incredibly important. If you're able to do it in a, like, kind of, if you're able to form a big enough voting block, like, that is how real change is done in this country. Like, real change in this country does not happen often. Like, if you think about it, like, it happened, I think, in a big way in 2010, because uh, and and kind of the early 2010s, like because that is what set the Republicans up for kind of the the the, the situation they have now. Um, it happened during the New Deal era. It happened and it happened because I think in large part, except for I guess you could kind of say the civil rights movement. Although people, in in some cases, that was kind of I say that was more of a 50-50 situation. Like voting, like the the real kinds of economic changes. Like voting has to happen. The people have to come in and step up. Um, I think more. I think that is definitely more with the economic changes than, than the social changes because I mean there are much more kind of social changes happening kind of more in the nineteen sixties, um, and kind of less so spiritual. 
uh, and, and more so spiritual, less less so economic, I, I meant to say. Uh, but it, it really kind of shows you, I think, that you got to have um, a much more... You gotta have, I think, like multi. It's a multi. Definitely, I think multi-dimensional situation, because like voting can really, if you vote in a unified way, that is more effective. Because, like, I just don't get what what that does. That doesn't make any kind of anywhere near uh, a difference in the anywhere near term. Like it, like organizing in a way that like, what, what is the end goal there? What is the, how does, what's the process of like organizing and doing the quote unquote real politics that Noam Chomsky is talking about? Is it canvassing? Is it like signing people up for things? I, I, I don't get it. If you're able to create a unified voting block that I think that has the most, most amount of power. I mean, that will be done for organizing, but voting is like incredibly important. It's so important. I, I think that is a, such a big deal. Because you need the people in there, you need the representatives, because I just don't get ignoring electoral politics, because, like, you need to, you need to get some people in there who are going to change, because that's where all the policy comes from, like, there's no, like, there's not the government, and there's no, like, the government's the only game in town, like, you've got to elect some people somewhere, if you want any kind of representation, like, I just, I think that's so crazy, just like, we, oh yeah, well, vote, voting doesn't. It's not the only thing. I mean, I it's not obviously. I and I think, you. I think you organize to vote more effectively, but you also have to vote. Like that's incredibly important. I think that's what makes the kind of whole system work. Under which any political figure will have to react. That's left politics. None of this business about concentrating on the election the way the establishment wants you to do. And certainly if the choice now is between four more years of monstrous activities, which may actually destroy the prospects for human life on earth, and will certainly make doing anything we want far more difficult. The choice is either that or voting against the him and then going back to the activist work that changes conditions and will compel them to move towards more progressive ends. Why can't people adjust the third party thing? You don't concentrate on the vote. The vote is the least of politics. That's establishment propaganda. Professor, you mentioned earlier that activism has moved Biden to the left over the course of the general election campaign. That's curious to me because what I've seen is Biden resisting moving to the left. One famous note the out of the DNC Unity Commission, the Sanders Biden Unity Commission, one of the recommendations was postal banking, letting letting the post office operate as essentially a credit union. And uh, it was reported that Biden made a phone call to the banks and told them, don't worry about that. That's just something for the Warren people. We're not actually going to do that. So my question to you is, how has Biden been moved to the left? Well, very clearly. What you're saying is, and again, you can say he's been moved to the left on paper, but and you can you can point to all these pieces of evidence. But I think what he's saying there, and I think there's a very very valid criticism at this point to make, is that um, are we sure that it's anything substantive that we can count on once he's in office? And that I think he has unquestionably not proven. He didn't move as far as you wanted. True, he didn't move as far as I wanted. But take a look at the programs. 
So you look at the campaign, the programs, takes a climate change, the most important thing. The programs are fine. Pro like, the programs are great. Like, the programs are, like, they're, they're perfect. Like, they're, they're again, they're not as good as we should have them, like, like you said. But, I, like, can you really be convinced that he's going to follow those programs once he's in office? Like, can I, I, I wish I had him here when he was in, uh, hopefully Virgil, Virgil will be my voice as I scream here from the sidelines. This is my director's commentary, I guess you could say. Of, of this this situation but it's like you I just don't see the the proof that Biden is going to really fall on his policy positions I mean I guess again unless the left is successful in making him and how would that happen I think in large part through pressure through electoralism through through elected officials there and through the promise of more people going the way of Corey uh, of William Lacey Clay and Joe Crowley and more people like Illinois Marinosi and all, all the squad-like people being brought into Congress. program is way to the left of any previous one, certainly to the left of what the DNC wants, calling for uh, nowhere near far enough, but much farther to the left. I can quote it for you if you want, or you can look it up. Same on other issues. Not as far as I would like, but it has been moved. Same is true of everyone in the past, uh, Lyndon Johnson didn't go as far as I would have liked on civil rights. But and I mean, again, I think like if like all that stuff is like it's good. It's it's significant policy situations. And I think like and Hillary said the same thing last time. Um, But I just don't find any of that convincing because. No one is going to come back and hold them at it. And no one's going to, when they're up in four years for election, say, you ran on increasing the carbon tax to 25% and, like, pull out some, some like, number and hold it in a way that's actually going to be politically effective or politically relevant. Like, I, especially on the, on maybe on the things that the left cares about, um, uh, that, 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 that just won't be done. And I don't think it's really going to be done on anything because Joe Biden isn't running on any signature thing. So he's not going to be like, no one's going to come up to him and be like, at least with any kind of political power or influence that he cares about, is going to be like, well, you didn't do this thing that the left wanted. No one's going to do that. Like, it's it's just not going to be, I just don't see how that could happen. I just don't. I think it's going to be up to other people, other like left-wing people to like push it and, and really try and shape these policy fights as they can. And that is where the case that that's where the, I think the case more leans favor uh, more in strong favor of Noam Chomsky. But he went farther than anything in the past. Uh, Richard Nixon didn't go as far as I wanted on pr protecting workers' rights, but he went to the left under pressure. That's how politics works. Yes, it won't be as far as we like. Therefore, we keep working. Not. It didn't go as far as I like. Therefore, I'll vote. I'll support the worst guy. Remember, those are the choices. You have a choice of supporting Trump or voting against him. You don't have any other choice on November 3rd. Now, if you take a look at Biden's program, it actually moved enough to the left so that the DNC has been trying to cut it back. Good. Now, let's push him farther to the left. That's what activists have been doing. And that's what they should continue doing. But we have a simple choice on November 3rd. Shall I take five minutes to vote against a major monster 
who will put us in hideous conditions, or shall I not take those five minutes and uh, help him win? That's the choice. Then you go back to real politics. Would you make this same argument if the nominee were Michael Bloomberg? Of course. He's nowhere near as hideous as Trump. I mean, take climate again, which is one of the major problems. I think a that's a great question. Bloomberg, but his position on climate is infinitely better than Trump's. Trump? But, I, uh, but, 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 but the thing with Noam Tomsky is uh, the great thing is I can kind of interrupt because it's not, he's not actually talking to me. But um, it's, it's just like there, climate is an incredibly important issue. I don't think – probably I think Bloomberg would be worse than the already incredibly bad Biden is on this. So, I mean, again, it's not even such a point in his favor – um, but look at all, like, what do you think about the tax policies? What do you think about the cuts to welfare? Like all the ways that he would go out of his way through his, his obsession with war on drugs, like policies, like stop and frisk and other, other things like that. Uh, e- like every way he could think of to make poor people's lives worse. Like that is what would happen in, I think, a Bloomberg administration. It's just like, I don't, un- <sighs> that is to me one where I would really seriously have to question who is the lesser of two evils? I think it's definitely Biden. Definitely was Hillary. Um, but if Bloomberg actually did end up getting a nomination, that's kind of where where Bloomberg, uh, Virgil, Texas, there you hear doing the kind of uh, taking it to the most logical extreme argument. Always a good play to make in a debate. Respect it. Respect it. Um, but it's going to be interesting to kind of kind of hear the the back and forth on this. The parts of the left can't seem to understand. They're joining with the far right in denying. The crisis of climate. Oh, there's plenty of other things, but let's just keep to that. Trump is alone in the world in pressing the accelerator towards disaster soon. That's a crucial issue. Do we want to support that or do we want to kick him out? That's only one issue. No matter how bad Bloomberg may be on other things, it doesn't weigh in the balance against this. On the other things in which he's bad, Trump is also worse. But that doesn't matter. Can you understand how if you are one of a member of the groups that are attacked by Donald Trump and Michael Bloomberg, if you are, let's say, a black person who has been the victim of Bloomberg's stop and frisk policies and bear direct witness to his lack of respect for basic civil rights, Fourth Amendment rights, um, some of the most foundational rights we have as Americans, that being told that Donald Trump is incrementally worse than him speaks to a bigger systemic issue. Not mentally, vastly worse. Well, if we're talking about something like stop and frisk, it's a real potato potato it's situation way with worse. the two of them given exactly how it's bloomberg bloomberg is on on issues of stop and frisk if it, like if whatever broader like criminal justice rights like trump is a billion times better than um than donald trump so i mean if you if you can point to climate change which i guess you could kind of make a fair like people like i i hate to kind of dismiss climate change cause i think it's a it's a big issue but it's a very very important point to acknowledge politically and like in reality that other things govern people's lives in the day to day that sometimes yes although it's a very important issue do take precedent over over climate change oppressive bloomberg's reign in new york city was so if you take an issue like that i would argue that climate 
is a similar issue, especially given that the way climate change operates, even if you are significantly better than another person on climate, if you aren't structuring your climate program so that it prevents us from reaching the two degree, the 1.5 and then the two degrees Celsius temperature raise at which there are cataclysmic waterfall effects throughout the climate, then your good effort doesn't Thank help you. us very much. You're, you're trying harder that doesn't get us to the place we need to be still results in catastrophic climate change, right? Climate failure, environmental failures, right? So the question is, why are we constantly in a scenario where we're being asked to choose between two options, neither of which really get us where we need to go when overwhelming majorities of Americans actually support a full-throated Green New Deal program, the likes of which more progressive candidates were supporting in the race. You're asking, why do we live in a capitalist society that we have not been able to overthrow? Well, not necessarily. I think my question is a little bit narrower than that. But that is not the question. But it's like, let's, can we just stop talking about over, can we, why are we using the word overthrow? Like that is like, I just don't get that sense there from from Noam Chomsky. Like, why are we using the word overthrow when we're looking at the current situation? Can we like, what is the justification? What is the logical outcome of thinking in terms of overthrow when we should be thinking in terms of like structural reform? Uh, like, like that is a big. Like, I'm not saying like shoot for the start. Or I'm not saying I'm uh, aim low. I'm saying like, what is it like? What is that again? What does that look like when he trying to when he like uses words like we kind of organize, we got to do the real politics? Like I just I do not see what that means. I just don't. I do not see the the, the way that happens. Um, and and this is kind of a very similar kind of. I guess I just I'm not. I don't know, man. I'm not versed in like the Marxian theory there, but uh, it is a very tough. Like, it's a tough vision for me to see, just to put it put it out plainly. ...question that arises on November 3rd. On the question of housing discrimination, they're both, Bloomberg and Trump are both bad. Trump happens to be worse. But it doesn't matter, because the issue on November mm. 3rd, even if it was Bloomberg, is mm. not housing. It's shall organized human society survive? There's a big difference between one degree centigrade and four degrees centigrade, which Trump is driving for. Yes, he is. We have the documents for it. That means cataclysm. Okay, total cataclysm. All these other issues don't arise. So the and that's only one point. So the question is: On November third, do I take ten minutes to stop? a monster who's trying to destroy us and then go back to work to try to change the society? Or do I help the monster? That's the choice. Well, my question was less about what to do on November 3rd. And I think I'd like to back away from the actual voting choice a minute, because I think it's obscuring a more substantive conversation that's really uh, where the meat is here on the left. I think that most leftists, most progressives, most Bernie supporters are going to vote for Joe Biden. The question is how it is constantly the case that we live in a country, regardless of socialism as an ideology, we live in a country where millions of people who do not identify as socialists 
support Medicare for all. 88% of Democrats do. Uh, a slim majority of Republicans do, according to some recent polls. Overwhelming majorities of both parties support the Green New Deal in climate reform. Overwhelming majorities support legalizing marijuana. We are in the middle of the largest, by numbers, the largest period of civil unrest, the largest protest movement in American history, which is making a very clear call for police reform. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of the overwhelming polls in favor of progressive programs, and in the middle of enormous real politic pressure from the base of the Democratic Party, exactly. Joe Biden That's, and the Democrats perfect. have not just said, Great no, we're not it. going to move on police reform. They have, in many instances, pandered to right-wing philosophies and said, as Joe Biden did recently, but the police need more money. We need to fund them even more. Mm. And said, I don't support the Green New Deal. I support my New Deal. And to have continued to punch at the left and I think and on the whole start to undermine the gains that the left has made in the last four years or so. So what is our obligation to kind of stay silent as that constant assault on the leftist movement continues from the top of our party? What is our obligation to stay silent and perhaps make our own movement more vulnerable in order to get Joe Biden elected? We agree perfectly on the fact the left agrees, should agree. We continue with the activism. Of course, we try to change the society, the institutions, the government, the uh, all the oppressive institutions. We keep working on trying to change them and to change people's understanding and willingness to, uh, to act to change them. That's fixed. There's another question. Do we take 10 minutes on November 3rd? That is a deflection. That is not answering the question. Like, like again, bringing it right back to, I think, November 3rd. And saying, um, I don't think really answering the question there and saying that, yeah, we all agree on the policies. No, she's just saying that Joe Biden does not agree and is actually moving to attack the left-wing movement. Like, I, I don't see how that question is being addressed there. Um, and on that deflection... We're going to have to say so long and farewell. Afida Zena Jew. We might continue this next time. I'm not so sure. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a ponderance and uh, let you, we'll, you'll find out next episode what we'll be doing then. <laughs>